So hi, Julian. Thank you very much for joining me today. You're very welcome, Stephen. And yeah, the, our starting point for today's conversation is going to be magic. So I thought maybe you could say something about what magic is to you and how how you've come across it, how it's part of your life. Okay, well, that's it's a really interesting question. It's the most difficult place to start in the sense that uh, what is magic is for me something of a koan, really. It's a, it's a strange and, 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 and peculiar question. It's very slippery. So on the one hand, magic, I guess, might be thought of as just a, a placeholder that we use. It's a word that we use for something that we find mysterious or impossible to understand, including sometimes our, re our responses to things. So a response might be, oh, that the band played and they were magical. Yeah. So an everyday incident takes place, but our response to it is to have some sense of the miraculous, the magical in it. We can think of magic as a historical series of, uh, of narratives and actions in the world. So we can think of magic as being the kinds of things that um, very often members of uh, uh, you know, religious, orthodox religious kind of uh, structures would have been doing, which were kind of slightly on the edge of what was acceptable. So uh, summoning angels in, say, uh, um, medieval magic or uh, finding ways to interact with demons to make them do things for you. So a sort of spiritual, spiritist model of magic. Then we've got kind of ideas like in uh, Greek culture and in uh, the um, Hermetic tradition where magic is about somehow becoming God or kind of it's a it's a bit a big transcendent spiritual process, the sort of thing that we think of as maybe the uh, uh, the stages of illumination that one might go through on in, in a meditative uh, practice like uh, Tavadan Buddhism, for example. And then we've got magic, which is things like um, witches spells, uh, healing uh, ceremonies and the magic that shades off into what today we think of often as kind of sh uh, shamanic practice. So magic is these many, many different things. It's parapsychological phenomena. It's all kinds of stuff. It's to some extent all the things that are kind of excluded from uh, many other aspects of culture. They're kind of slightly on the edge and a bit dodgy. Um, and that's what magic is. It's this. It's a. It's a. In some respects, it is an uncertainty, mystery. That's why for me, you know, I describe my practice often just as an, I'm an occultist. I'm interested in that which is hidden. And magic can be seen as both the response to that which is hidden and also the technology of engaging with that which is hidden. So, so I guess that's what it is to me right now. And how, how did magic come into your life or how is it part of your life nowadays, would you say? I guess the, 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 uh, I, I have always been interested in magic. So I've always, from as long as I can remember, been interested in um, all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah, so parapsychological phenomena, UFO uh, phenomena, um, you know, uh, Loch Ness monster. All kind of. I was always interested in uh, Fortean subjects um, and and uh, these kinds of things. I was equally interested by by things like human psychology, and very aware as I was kind of getting into magic from fairly early on that this was a. Um, a really complicated field where there was no sort of single answer and I, that really appealed to me actually the idea that it was kind of about sort of a, a series of practices to explore what might be possible so from very early I started doing stuff I started trying to cast spells I tried um, various practices of, I would go through lots of the books in the library and I would I would mine them for technique technique technology like what is it you actually do how do you do this stuff and I started um, meditating when I was about 10 and then started yoga seriously kind of about a year or so after that. Um, and then by the time I was 16, I, I managed to get involved with um, uh, a Wiccan coven. And so the rest, as they say, is history. So I've just always been fascinated by this, um, this piece of human behavior. Yeah, let's call it this weird thing. Yeah, it's just uh, what I really dig. And uh, so one more distinction we might make is between magic with a C and magic with a K or ending in a you know, C and ending in a CK. Uh, uh, the magic ending in a C often referring to uh, performance magic, stage magic, if you like, whereas magic in a K is, is more associated with this kind of, uh, with the occult. A, a new... A relatively recent breed of magic, as I understand it, is, is chaos magic, again with a K. Uh, and could you say something about what, what chaos magic is? Well, well, I mean, thanks for that distinction the, between the C and the C, uh, C and K. Um, uh, it's interesting because actually, if you look at the chaos magic texts for various 
reasons that that um, if you're if you're if you can be bothered to listen to the subtleties of this narcissism of minor differences, you'll understand why. Chaos Magic is without a K, typically, at least in the books by Pete Carroll, who was one of the early writers about the subject. So Chaos Magic uh, was a, an approach to magical practice which developed in Europe in the latter part of the 20th century. It was heavily influenced by discordianism, by the th things like the work of Robert Anton Wilson, so it had a humorous element to it. Uh, it was highly praxeological. It's very much like a DIY punk influence. So it was like about saying, yes, there may be all kinds of metaphysics. There may be all kinds of theory about this stuff, but what really matters is going and doing it. Yeah? So it was the kind of the magical equivalent of, look, if you want to start a band, just pick up a guitar and try and make noise. Um, it was also, and the reason it doesn't, it drops the K is that it was also kind of antithetical to some extent, or it was set up by magicians who wanted to have a style of magic that was not... Um, bound in what they, I guess, thought of as a, another kind of theology. So Alistair Crowley's magic, and Crowley is most famously the person who adopts the CK spelling for a variety of reasons. His style of magic, uh, on the one hand, as an individual, he said, he spent a lot of time saying, look, you've got to find your own way through the universe and decide on your own style and blah, blah. But he also brought you quite happily uh, to the altar of uh, a religion he created called Thalema. So at the time that chaos magic evolved in, in Europe, there was Thelemic magic. There were people who were basically real, really influenced by Crowley's work um, and doing stuff that was, to a greater or lesser degree, based on the material he Crowley had already provided. Or they were interested in Wicca, they were interested in witchcraft um, and the, the modern pagan revival. And what chaos magic sought to do was to, to kind of, to say, look, you don't actually need an overall belief system. Like, I, I have no idea it, how, or indeed if, magic even works. But I know that there's a whole repertoire of technique which can allow me to explore the boundaries of what may or may not be possible, at least with regard to the realm of the imagination. And so chaos magic privileges the, the, the doing of the stuff. And so although I didn't come into working in chaos magic as a, uh, in terms of some of the chaos magic organisational groups, um, till about 15, 16 years ago, it's always kind of been my style. So it's this highly eclectic system. It's very much about um, uh, doing rather than theorizing, although that doing includes things like reflecting and, and considering and listening. It's not always, not always about activity. Um, but it says, you know, there may be many, many views of how this is, how this process may or may not happen. And they may have different things that uh, inform us in different ways, different insights inform us in different ways. So can you give us some idea of some of the techniques of chaos magic? What do chaos magicians actually do? Okay, so, so one of the influences on the emerging style of chaos magic was a magician called Austin Osmond Spare, who was an artist who was born at the, towards the um, tail end of the 19th century, um, uh, lived through to the mid-20th century. He was a, a, an artist magician and he developed a style of sorcery which was very, very personal in a kind of William Blake kind of a way. But one of the techniques that he developed was a thing called sigilization. And when we talk about chaos magic, one of the classic techniques, if you like, is uh, sigilization. Sigilization essentially means writing down a uh, an intention or a desire, perhaps one might call it, uh, writing it down uh, in letters and then taking the letters and from that going through some sort of a process that uh, eventually end up with a kind of a monogram, so a, a graphic image, which is derived from that statement, that written statement of intention into a, a, a graphical form. That image, according to Austin Spare's idea of this, it kind of embodies the intention, but in a way that the conscious mind doesn't uh, can't recognise. It doesn't look like what it means. It's just an abstract symbol. And Spare's uh, approach was then to uh, go through a process of changing consciousness. And he had lots of different ways of doing this, sort of meditative processes and breathwork processes. And to imagine that that symbol then somehow glows with energy or that, you know, metaphorically it comes alive. And then, then that symbol might then be disposed of in some way. So taken away from consciousness, it might be burnt, it might be buried, it might be perhaps eaten if it's on a piece of rice paper or something it might be you know set on fire whatever 
and, and symbolically uh, what's happening is uh, it's this is a piece of, of, of what people like Fraser would call sympathetic magic or mimetic magic so there's an idea that as this symbol as this sigil is taken down into the unconscious mind so it's rather like a seed it sits there and it grows and it forms it manifests in some sense um, and uh, so that process of sigilization that process of creating an intention distilling it down to a graphic image empowering the graphic image in some way and then often taking that image and sort of setting it free so that it manifests in in, uh, in reality that would be a, a kind of a, a classic example if you like of chaos magic but chaos magic is an approach to magic more broadly so chaos magic is also utilizing things that look like um, either very highly traditional esoteric practices or, or practices from religions uh, but also very kind of contemporary uh, modern approaches to changing awareness changing consciousness setting intention uh, all of those sorts of things so uh, broadly speaking it's all this repertoire of technique and this approach to technique um, but obviously as a, a narrative it has things like sigilization as being very closely associated with that style so if we just dwell on, on sigil magic for a second then. So I've heard this phrase, uh, fire and forget. And once you've created this, the sigil, it's considered by many un uncharged. Uh, we then use some process to charge up the sigil. Using, and that, as I understand, it could be through meditation or it could be through a psychedelic experience. It could be walking, you know, putting it in your pocket and walking to the top of a mountain. It could be having it under your pillow as you have sex or something like this. Some... And, and this would be considered the, the, the magical act, perhaps. Um, and then there's some climax. Maybe you reach the top of the mountain, or you orgasm, or you come down from the trip, and this is the point at which you, you fire the, uh, the sigil, you release the sigil to, you know, to, to the beyond, and then you can... Uh, and then as far, uh, what I've understood is that you, an important part of the process is this forgetting about it, if you like. And th this has helped me to understand uh that 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 this technique can be understood in 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 a few different ways and, and this is quite conventional uh interpretation that if something is is bugging you so much that you're willing to go to the trouble of uh conducting a, a magical ritual about it then pro probably the best thing you can pro possibly do is uh, is forget about it <laughs> and just and like get it off your mind and get on with your life and get on with other things in your life and not let it sort of stay festering in your mind if you like so um i think there's a there's a kind of cycle you know quite a straightforward psychological interpretation of like just get getting 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 things that are bugging you out of your mind onto a piece of paper and then you know and then getting on with other things um of course then there are um, there are more esoteric interpretations about what's going on so do you uh and that actually you are you know there's some interaction with consciousness or the beyond that uh that we we many people would barely profess to understand. So, what's what's your view on uh, the on these different interpretations of how or why sigilization in particular may work? Okay, so so firstly, that's really you've given there an, an excellent breakdown of like uh, the process, um, I think, and and we'll re maybe return to the idea of firing and forgetting in, in a little. Uh, moment in terms of which interpretation makes more sense. The answer is it depends on the value of the interpretation. So uh, when I'm explaining something like sigil magic in a, in a for for a sort of a you know a non esoteric uh, fanboy audience, then it's like yeah, of course, psychology, which is a subset of uh, science, which is a subset of natural philosophy, which is a subset historically of magic. Of course, that's a perfectly reasonable way of explaining it. There are other models, as I'm sure people are f familiar with, the idea of, you know, if we could talk about, say, an animist spirit model of what goes on, um, it, you know, although it's, it's, it doesn't make, uh, it's, it's not coherent, perhaps, in the way that we expect scientific discourse to be coherent, nevertheless, these animist models, certainly understood as a kind of a, a series of metaphor metaphorical descriptions of the world, are very often quite useful, quite interesting. So I, I don't think there's any 
privileged description of what's going on. I think there are ones that are better uh, served for different audiences and there are ones that are perhaps more or less useful in terms of unpicking the thing. And it's also entirely possible that the whole process is just a random series of quote coincidences and has there's no agency at all in anything and it's all laughable. And we must admit that possibility as well. And by admitting all of those possibilities, we can basically have fun and try the technique out because the technique is the technique is the technique. Now, going back to the thing about firing and forgetting, I would suggest that the most important category of what happens or what the criteria for what happens in a magical ritual is to do with the uh, the inhabited metaphor, to do with the poetry of the ritual. So, for example, if I create a sigil, my intention of which is to help me find a new place to live, um, I am uncertain as to whether or not the metaphorical poetic um, uh, process of setting it on fire is actually what I want to do. I might want to place it under a stone. I might want to bury it. I might want to do something else with it. Yeah. So I might want to sort of empower that thing and remove it in a certain way. But equally, that thing may be something that I actually want to, I, I can't let go of whatever this intention is. It's far too important. It's, I'm, I can't let go of it. So what else might I do? Well, I might actually make an artwork involving this thing and I might make it give it a serious sort of position in 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 my home on my uh, on my desk in my office you know whatever's going on so it's more about the the i think getting a good poetic metaphor the, the strong poetic metaphor of you you uh, send energy into this thing whatever that is whether it's imagined as uh, jouissance or, or or chi or whether it's imagined simply as intention or some sort of informational process that bends the universe in some weird quantum woo-woo way that I have no idea how that would work doesn't really matter but the idea of sending that thing into that process into that thing and then forgetting it removing it in some way yeah totally and and and, and, and I mean maybe it's so maybe we could generalize forgetting to to transform it and that the, the, the transforming you know could could be forgetting yeah. but it could also yeah. be actually creating something from yeah. it as, and, as you said you know a, a piece and of it art. has to follow the poetry of the intention I would suggest and 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 often you know the the, the funny thing about magic is that magic um, you know when it works uh, looks like normal stuff happening of course you know it, it doesn't look like typically you know with, with the exception of things that happen in people's dreams or other states of consciousness it doesn't look like harry potter it looks like just events unfolding in the world but they tend to have a a kind of poetry in them um uh, and, uh, and sort of these metaphorical resonances and i think that working with that is actually a strong part of what magic is about it's kind of hard to to, to describe really but i think I imagine you get it. <laughs> so, I mean, you, uh, is it fair to say you're a practicing magician? Yes. So, uh, can you say something about what, why you continue to practice magic? Then, is it is it because it's simply good fun, or is it because uh, you observe that it has produced kind of you know material changes in your circumstances, or uh, yeah, what what is it doing for you right now? Well, I mean, you know, so, so I, I kind of jokingly sometimes think that it's just a mental disorder, and it's my way of. Um, of, of coping with it and I frankly I should well, it, well that's I mean magical thinking is highly it is, it is in the psychiatric it literature is typically yeah. typically so so you know I think me and my mates are actually a sort of a, 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 um, a you know a, an autonomous support group and frankly should get money from the government but um, <laughs> that aside that aside um, it's also it's um, for me the practice the, I mean you know my daily practice looks like a variety of things yeah so pragmatically it looks like some meditation and some uh, and some yoga and then the rest of the time uh, I kind of foray in as I suspect many people do to things like you know a spot of divination so here you know here are the here are the tarot cards uh, let's do some work with something like this or going for a walk in a way where I kind of ritualize the kind of experience of going for a walk in order to really listen deeply to my environment or whatever. And then sometimes it looks like more explicit magical ritual. Um, so whether that's a ritual where I'm um, acting as a, a, you know, a celebrant or facilitator or whatever for a group of people, or whether it's me and um, peers doing, doing pieces of magical work. But those things are... Uh, you know, I don't spend all of my time casting spells. That's crazy. I spend actually most of my time trying to be in a kind of, yeah, I don't know what you'd call it, kind of a good relationship with the forces around me, I suppose. 
Yeah, so that pragmatically that means like a bit of looking after my body by doing a bit of, uh, a bit of yoga, a bit of looking after my baseline mind state by doing some meditation, um, and then uh, the rest of the time, you know, having that repertoire of techniques, so I can decide on okay, I need to do some reflection on past, present, future. I've got the tarot as a skill that I've I've got and that I'm very familiar with, um, and then. Yeah, there are rituals. I mean, I've I've been involved with a particular magical group, and for the last I don't know how long now, a while now, um, certainly the last decade, we've been involved in a series of pieces of ritual which have all been to do with um, helping to liberate the psychedelic gnosis in our culture. So um, you know, and whether or not the strange wavings of hands and mutterings of spells and all of this sort of stuff that, that me and my mates do makes any direct uh, parapsychological difference to the, the, the emergence of the psychedelic renaissance. I have no idea, of course. I mean, it's just ludicrous. How, how, how there's not, a, magic falls down when we start to talk about causality, really. That's the yeah. problem with it. Yeah. Um, so I think you said, You've identified something very useful for me there, there, that many people uh, are, well, either like, you know, attracted or put off by the ritual element of it, but, you know, and by the idea that magicians cast spells. And, you know, some people think that's amazing and other people find it just total nonsense. But, but, but actually, uh, what I heard from you there is, uh, magic, or at least to be a magician is, it's, it's a, it's a path. It's a way of life as much as it is anything to do with rituals and spells and that, perhaps involves uh, yeah getting in right relationship with uh your body and uh, the people around you and the natural world so that you are able you know or, or so that when the opportunity or, or necessity for ritual comes up you are you know well prepared well placed to actually do that in an effective way do you think there's something yeah yeah no i mean uh, you know it, it's it's kind of it's kind of weird it's weird for me right because i was you know i'm uh nearly 50 and i was born in um, the home counties in England. So I'm I'm a person who's always been fascinated with, engaged in, and doing this stuff. Who comes from somewhere that you know I haven't got a tradition, so I can't really straightforwardly call myself anything in terms of what my practice is. You know, whether it's shaman or magician or whatever. It's it's I'm this kind of ahistoric entity, but I also know that this is kind of somehow fundamentally a sort of it is like a you know maybe it is like a a, men, a, a neuro a, a neuro atypicality it's a certain view of the the um the world and i share that with a bunch of other people who are other sort of practitioners in this field i guess the i often think about so you know so what that that's that's like our way of coping with stuff i think the thing that's interesting for me is that part of what magic is often about is about being able to um be able to help other people yeah, so a lot of it, you know, whether it's whether it's divination, whether it's that's facilitating ceremony, and it doesn't mean that you're any better than anyone else. Yeah, no, you know, you're no, uh, not necessarily intrinsically any healthier. Just in the same way that a doctor may be a good doctor, but may not, you know, can still get ill. Doesn't you know, doesn't doesn't mean you're better. But part of what you can do is offer um, the opportunity to to sort of relate to things in in the world in a certain way, and 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 sometimes people find that beneficial and helpful. So I get asked all kinds of weird things. You know, people, someone will contact me and say, "Oh, we've got this just weird atmosphere in our house. Could you come and help?" And it's like, well, that obviously means that they have certain sort of beliefs about the world or whatever. And I'm I'm very very open minded about these things because I think it's more to do with the description and and the, the the benefits we get from things about what you do. But you're invited into that setting, or someone says, you know, I'd like to have a hand fasting. I'd like to have a ritual, which is a ritual uh, symbolic bonding of two people together and you kind of use your practice of this kind of being uh i hope kind of um uh, sensitive and aware of these kind of interconnections of the world a lot of what magic is predicated on is this notion that the whole of the universe is interconnected so that's why it's really really strongly related to things like the psychedelic state because in the psychedelic state we know that you know all of your neurons are interconnected suddenly pretty much yeah. Well, let, well let, let, let's move on to that then a bit. And so we talk about the relationship between altered states of consciousness and, and magic, starting with the relationship between psychedelics and magic. What, what's, what's going on there? What's the interface there? How, how are they related? I was at um, the, the uh, B, 
Beyond Psychedelics conference in Prague recently, and there was a presentation there that someone provided, um, which was which was delightful, and it was looking at uh, the effects of holotropic breathwork uh, in relation to the effects of, I think it was low doses of um, psilocin or something like this. And what was interesting was that these two things, these two, um, you know, the, sub the subjective um, reports of those states of awareness map basically identically on each other, which is really fascinating. So the relationship is that whether we use drugs to do these things or whether or not we use other kinds of practices, you know, so um, and, and, and magic, particularly chaos magic, goes around mining what the technique is. So the Sufis, what do they do? Well, they do protracted periods of spinning and singing and blah. And actually, this is a very common thing. You know, dancing, we know, in, induces all kinds of different types of trance. So all the different methods of doing these things they basically realize brain states that are really, really similar. And broadly speaking, we know what happens. So the default mode network, the narrative sense of I is, is turned down to some extent, and that, that uh, novel uh, connectivity begins to exist within, uh, within the brain, often, by, often through regions that typically don't speak to one another. So we enter this, way, this, meth, this, uh, this state of awareness, which is, is firstly, it's tremendously plastic. So we can take, you know, a psychedelicized brain and we can uh, give it a religious, beautiful experience or we can utterly terrorize it because the brain state is very, uh, it's very highly plastic, it's very mo mobile. Um, and so if we do, say, a ritual, let's take the example of a sigilization process, going back to that example, if we do enter an alter state of consciousness, then we take this intention. And even if we just purely think of this as a psychological operation, right, so no quantum woo involved, by putting this intention in a in a form which is kind of very immediately viscerally metaphorically understood so it's it's a graphic image putting that into our essentially vulnerable psychedelic brain one might it, you know it's not hard to imagine how that might be a very effective way of doing it rather than just kind of you know looking at it you know, in between sort of uh, washing up and doing whatever, you know, it's the part of it is that you're you're dropping this intention into this into this mind. The other side of it is if you do things like divination, what you're often doing is you're often trying to achieve this kind of state so that the narrative that's produced in, for example, laying down tarot cards is one in which new possibilities are understood that previously weren't um, apparent. Uh, and occasionally, weird parapsychology-looking stuff sit, uh, um, kind of happens as well. But broadly, a lot of this could be described in quite easy psychological terms. Yeah. And let's and how about the, the placebo effect in magic? I've just actually finished a really good book on the placebo effect. Uh, you are the placebo. Uh, and going from uh, well, basically, I did actually well. Well, firstly, the placebo effect is, is very real and, and potentially useful to people in being able to make changes in their life that uh, they desire. And furthermore, that actually you don't even need to take a sugar pill to get the benefit of the placebo effect. Uh, that various experiences have been done, in fact, where people are, uh, are told that what they're taking is a placebo and they, that, you know, they still, <laughs> they still improve or they still get benefit relative to, uh, to taking nothing at all. So it would strongly suggest that it's actually our own will our own mind our own intention that is really at play here or is maybe the major part of that effect um so yeah to 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 dwell on the, the role of, of of intention and of, of belief in uh, in magic is it the idea of setting an intention seems to be uh, very important to, to very many different techniques uh, magical techniques if you like and i and i often i've actually often thought in various parts of life including when i was studying physics that uh you know figuring out the question or if you like figuring out what you want is, is the hardest part of the whole thing and once if you can do that then everything else kind of falls into place uh so yeah any thoughts on that yeah totally i mean to take the last part um you know, a lot of the, the the idea of magic as well is that there are all these processes that are built into it. I mean, people would think about the whole sort of, you know, circles and summoning demons and all that shit. But a lot of the process is about receptivity, listening, 
being kind of trying to allow the kind of the default mode network sense of self to have some ongoing dialogue with this, you know, that that kind of deep mind collective, you know, unconscious kind of um, content. So um, it's such an interesting thing. Intention is intention is 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 um, uh, is certainly a really really kind of essential sort of part of that of that process and being able to spend time kind of reflecting on you know so what is it I want and being able to think about you know how how these things sort of flow together is really really essential and I think that that idea of that we can kind of program ourselves to do things essentially that that we can um, arrive at these processes so hypnosis is another great example which allows us to do things like anesthetize people successfully for operations so you know this is an objective process that definitely definitely works this is not just um, you know, uh, 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 a peripheral effect. This is something really important, really important. And of course, historically, we know and understand for understandable reasons, placebo has been a thing that we just correct for in drug trials. But if we also think about how, um, let's imagine that you kind of your classic shamanic healing experience. So let's imagine that you take someone and you give you, you give them some ayahuasca and maybe you take the ayahuasca as well. And what you do is you then lay that person down and you use feathers and you use smoke and you use all kinds of things to heal them of whatever their difficulty is. Now that's, that's like, an, that's uh, assuming that that person has some sort of relationship with the concept of shamanism. So they either, they, they believe in some sense that it is powerful that's that's an amazingly hyper placebo environment isn't it i mean you know we know about how placebo effect works in terms of giving people pills or you know giving people surgery we know that you know placebo surgery unsurprisingly is um more powerful typically than placebo pills we we can we we understand this effect very well so to put someone in a psychedelic state of awareness and then to do actions with them or to them in some way that have this powerful metaphorical process and meaning and have often been curated by you know lots of practitioners watching basically what seems to work it means that we have access to this other healing potential within us which does seem to be really quite significant yeah so all the pharmacology that we've had for the last you know, forever pretty much to deal with mental illness has utterly failed basically you know it's utterly failed and and it would seem that at least some of the capacity to heal from trauma exists within this other state of awareness so that's where we should put our, our our efforts and our intentions into into understanding that it could be just the medicine we need okay let's um let's move on again to asking who else is using magic uh, so there are uh my understanding is there are various kind of magical orders out there and covens and so on that uh one could seek out and, and and attempt to join uh but how 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 widespread are these practices are there people that you you have some feeling are are using them kind of secretly uh are there baddies or, or, is that what you're asking or or or, 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 or may or, or maybe or maybe even unintentionally is it possible to unintentionally be be you know involved in magic by using magic practices or is it something that you know you always really have to know that you're going into well, I mean, in common with anyone with a, a really pronounced delusion, I think that in a sense, everything is magical. And therefore, I would suggest that, you know, if you think of marketing is the most obvious example. I mean, the, the sigilization yeah. process that we've discussed, <laughs> this is like a this is like a little spin on that, isn't it? You know, to yeah, the point where yeah, people yeah. will get things tattooed on them. And, and that's it's not even like I necessarily think that that's a bad thing. It's just a thing. That's how culture works. You know, we work through imaginal structures. You know, I have imaginal structures which... Um, you know, uh, pieces of paper with a picture of the Queen on there, apparently worth money, and 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 then you know, series of numbers in in pixels on a screen that have it. And it's all based on this kind of like imaginal um, process um, of, beli of, of belief, of belief, yeah. of belief in certain structures. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, there there is there is a real world out there. I, I know, and it's not about a kind of a, a solipsism, but it is about realizing that most of what affects most of human experience are these imaginal linguistic cultural structures mo 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 uh, many of which are not in any sense real um they're certainly not unchanging by any stretch of the imagination over time or geography 
So they're very, you know, they're, they're, they're strange things and that's where we live. So I would suggest that um, everyone is to some extent kind of subject to um, the, you know, the magical uh, activities of others. So the idea of, you know, um, here we are, we're an organisation. What are we going to do? The first thing we're going to do is we're going to create a symbol which represents our organisation, which kind of subtly allows you to remember it, but doesn't immediately give you the words. Now, that's basically just sigilisation or creating a, 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 you know, and that's what everyone does. Yeah, so we, we do this all the time. So I think it, it's more to do with, um, there are people who are more or less aware of these and whether it doesn't really matter if you call it magic or you call it like um, I don't know, like active semiotics or whether you know what you, what your what your approach is to understanding this kind of interpenetrating set of of uh, belief uh, tunnels, one of which happens to be the one you occupy, but that also that you can play around with that by lots of different means. Um, so, so from I really like this idea of marketing and or and advertising as as a form of sigil magic. So. Um, but something else I've got from what you said is really the magic is just a, uh, one way of seeing the world and that, that, that perhaps emphasizes uh, interconnectedness and, uh, and maybe also humility, perhaps, or just this sense of, of not knowing and uh, not needing to know quite how everything is working focusing more simply on uh what what feels good and what seems to work uh, and rather than spending all one's time puzzling over what exactly is is, is going on uh, yeah and it's uh it's and of course it's, it's in some sense the the magical practice uh, the most notable magical practice in society at large today is is science uh, that, and I've, uh, it's interesting to consider CERN, the particle collider, as as a huge magical ritual space, of course, where uh, our, our magicians or physicists, as we call them nowadays, come together and you know, manifest, literally manifest matter from <laughs> from energy. Yeah. Um, uh, and and in, and it's been interesting with the, with the discovery of the Higgs boson that they've. Uh, it's behaved, uh, it behaves almost exactly how they predicted it would behave. Uh, and one, I, I wondered whether, to what extent it was the, the belief or, and the, the, the desire of our, of these physicists for it to behave in that way that meant that it, it when it was discovered, it actually did. And coming back to this question of whether science is a process of discovery that is it's already out mm. there and we're you know we're like we're sort of uncovering something like, oh, like I, I found it or whether uh whether we ourselves as you know in in mind or as part of mind at large are actually creating science and and, and in that context whether our, our our will and our intention uh, has some effect on what what science is discovered yeah. where you know what where and how the universe this you know the, the new science of the universe evolves if you like uh yeah do you, do you have some uh some thoughts on the relationship between between modern science and magic? well that's some that's some big stuff there Stephen. i mean i think that it's it's uh for me it, again it's about having I, I like having multiple discourses so it's not you know is it this or is it that or whatever it's just like here are these other here are these fascinating ways of thinking about what's going on and um uh so you know are are they discovering something or are they ma making something manifest? Well, perhaps it's a both and rather than an either or, you know, and certainly in terms of uh, maintaining these multiple kind of storylines about what's going on. I think that's 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 for me a really important thing. If we look historically, um, as I mentioned before, science is a is a, a discipline. It's an approach to um, understanding knowledge, which flows from natural philosophy, which was the, you know, the the. Uh, both in terms of um, alchemy giving rise to chemistry and also in terms of uh, natural philosophy giving rise to things like um, physics. Um, those uh, those approaches to knowledge are ones that are, are really interesting because they, they have to be about this kind of peculiar sort of falsifiability and this, this process of being able to kind of ex, um, exclude data and obviously increasingly a process of like refining quite complex statistical data so you know there's the Higgs boson it's not seen it's understood as a series of peaks in a series of pieces of 
data. And that's really, really fascinating. It's really, really fascinating kind of uh, sort of way of establishing what we consider to be knowledge. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, no, it, it's, I think it is an uncovering. I think that there is a universe out there, but I think that the dialogue between our experience of the universe and the, um, the you know, the slice of it that we, we, we can ever hope to kind of have any connection or understanding or scientific knowledge of, um, realizing the limits of that is really is, is perhaps really quite uh, interesting and quite important. Um, I'm, I'm, att- I'm attracted to the idea that it's yeah it's, it's a it's a dialogue it's a conversation mm-hmm. it's 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 neither quite like we you know we're determining exactly what we're going to find as you know humanity as human minds but neither is it that there is some absolute yeah. truth out there to be it, uncovered it, but like the, the absolute is in is you know we're having a conversation with the absolute and and together we work out what it is that <laughs> that's discovered next or is cre- you know, created next that something about that appeals to me i think i think that part of it for for me is is that you know a lot of the language when we start to talk about these very um rarefied and kind of complicated and folded back on themselves ideas is that like when we talk about the psychedelic experience we're actually sort of better off um going to you know, metaphor and poetry than, than 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 anything else. Not that these things are ineffable in the sense that we shouldn't sort of attempt to describe them. I mean, indeed, we we spend a lot of time trying to describe them. But I often wonder whether or not our anxiety about is it this or is it that is is predicated on the fact that you and I are both essentially tubes with arms and legs. And so we <laughs> so our fundamental description of the world is is it outside my tube or is it inside my tube? And that's really <laughs> important. If we were shaped, if we were starfish, we'd have different anxieties, I suspect. Um, you know, so, so a lot of, a lot of this kind of, it becomes like a discussion about topology rather than a discussion about anything, you know, more, more philosophical really in some respects. I mean, this is where, you know, uh, the idea that sort of everything is magic kind of falls down. I mean, I I suppose that if we, if we go back to that point about, you know, who's doing magic out there in the world, yes, there are lots of different kind of styles of magician. There are lots of different styles of organization. The vast majority of them. Yeah, certainly my experience are predicated on um, really quite sort of, you know, um, uh, empowering and uh, essentially quite sort of, you know, groovy sets of uh, ideas of one form or another. And they come in lots and lots of different stripes. But equally, there is magic that, that takes place at this completely unconscious level. I mean, no one in CERN, actually, that's not entirely true, um, that few people, as I understand it, in CERN, um, would explicitly understand this as like a, as a magic circle as being you know in the lineage of the sort of thing that Dr. John D would have been standing in. But I think historically you could make an argument for it, certainly. And definitely poetically you can. And a lot of magic is about this kind of poetry. It's, and that's why it doesn't tend to worry about is this true or is this not true? It's like, well, that doesn't really matter. It's like Robert Graves' idea of the poetic truth. You know, and that's a really powerful powerful idea is it true that i'm trying to heal the person by giving them a placebo pill well yes it is but of course i'm giving them a pill that is inactive blah 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 it, it, it's this in betweenness this liminal space where lots of magic operates i think um and and the, the result of which what has been to me since coming across this worldview that uh that life is simply more fun and more interesting and uh it's i that, I think that's one of would be my main. Uh, if anyone is interested in in exploring magic further and, and needs a good reason to do it, I'd, that they would be the main reasons that I would suggest. Uh, not necessarily because uh, it's you're going to be able to sort of, you know shoot fireballs out of your finger, fingertips any anytime soon. Uh, but that it's it's about the, a, a reenchantment of the world. Yeah. And uh, and being able to look at things with fresh eyes in actually quite a similar way that uh, people, you know, people, many people experience in the psychedelic state, this experience of everything seeming new and interesting again. Um, for me, magic has uh, kind of extended that almost in you know maybe not as in, in, in intensely as under the influence of psychedelics, but there's something similar there to me and. Uh, it's yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's it, it strikes me as rather uh, uh, rather sad when people so uh, are, are seem almost like triggered by the thought of 
of, of magic or any discussion of magic and have this sense of no like I, you know i know what's i know what's going on science science is the truth science doesn't you know science doesn't include magic that's that's its nonsense yeah. and they sit there and fold, fold their but arms and kind of stamp stamp this is this, this 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 is this is a, a this, i mean i i don't know those people i've not encountered those people I and mean, i know that they <laughs> exist sort of as a, as a trope within culture but i don't know um because most of the time i kind of think well okay you can you can uh, you can imagine that many of these behaviours are either anachronistic or um, the, the sort of self-fulfilling prophecies or whatever. You must ne- nevertheless acknowledge the the psychological uh, significance or, or, or possibly power of those things, at least for those individuals in, uh, who are deploying these kinds of techniques. And we certainly must acknowledge the fact that um, whether we believe it's temporal lobe epilepsy or whatever we happen to call it, the religious experience, the peak experience, the mystical experience, the experiences that can be reached very reliably with psychedelics and less reliably, but nevertheless, um, uh, um, over a short period of time, but reliably over longer periods of time, other sort of techniques to get these mystical experiences, those things are important. They're certainly important historically. So even if you're going to say they're not true, you must understand them in their own terms. So here are some of the, you know, let's imagine some of the great religious teachers. Let's imagine um, you know, Muhammad and Jesus and Moses and Buddha. So all these people, all these blokes go off and something happens to them and then they come back and they teach these uh, new great teachings. What happens to them all? All of them go off and they do something. They go into the wilderness. They spend time on a mountain. The only one who tells us what they did was Buddha. And he says, I did meditation. So you at least have to say these techniques of changing awareness whether we, we just focus just on purely on meditation, that these that they have some significance and some import in the world, yeah, and that's just a fact. And if you if 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 you if you think that that's off limits, then that's really really weird. Surely, I don't I don't quite understand that. It's an, it's an important part of the human experience. So I mean, over the past decade or so, we've we've witnessed uh, uh, a mindfulness revolution, if you like, uh, and now. People now talk about psychedelic renaissance, and I've wondered whether uh, the next step in this story is a certain magical renaissance, uh, and whether uh, some of the ideas that we've been speaking about will uh, re-enter popular culture, will re-enter society, and people will be able to uh, simply you know, use them for their yeah. <laughs> to, to live happier, healthier lives in the way that people are. Are using meditation and psychedelics, and that it's not seen as something you know dangerous or weird. It's you know the other although it can be, yeah. and of course you, you could say that you have these uh, magic should be used, practiced responsibly in the same way that psychedelics uh, should be yeah. used responsibly, or or indeed meditation. You know, I've I, I've seen uh, people that seem to be on the edge of psychotic breakdowns after ten day vipassana retreats, like throwing themselves into these long extended silent retreats when they really weren't ready for it. So all of these practices have their dangers, I think. Um, but can you see, do you sense, uh, yeah, some of these ideas re-entering the mainstream over the years? Yes, I can, and I can. Uh, my my you know my ideal um, thoughts about this, I suppose, uh, the, the, the idealized sort of outcome that I was I was. Um, uh, talking to the Psychedelic Society in Amsterdam um, night before last, I think it was, and doing a sort of, sort of uh, talk for those guys there, which is lovely. And one of the things I was talking about was this idea that, you know, when LSD came into culture, we invented the uh, rock music festival, right? So that was our kind of cultural response to this psychedelic substance. Then when MDMA came into our culture, we responded by creating the rave and the chill out zone and blah 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 and that's what we did so that was our, our cultural response in terms of ritual behavior to that substance so what's happening now in the psychedelic renaissance well, what i would argue is that we have the opportunity for and and i know it's a problematic term but let's just use it because it, it does really fit is a kind of the shamanic approach by which i mean the approach where we are curating uh spaces often slightly more intimate spaces than you, than you have within a festival. You could have one of these approaches take place at a festival, but essentially we're seeing the emergence of the idea of the medicine circle, um, medicine rituals, psychedelic experience stuff, which has a ritual element to it. And the ritual element to it can be very diverse, very eclectic, very, you know, down the line, with, embodied within one tradition or another. It doesn't really matter. But as a behaviour, 
what I think we're seeing is this idea of creating and curating these spaces and hopefully we'll just get better and better at it and practitioners who do this well will 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 thrive and people who, who are doing it less well will get better support or, or stop doing it but that's I think what we're seeing at the moment we're seeing this proliferation of these 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 ceremonial spaces for taking um, psychedelics in and that's where magic has something to say because one of the things that magic has to say is that here are the underlying particularly chaos magic but, but all, lots of the magical tradition does this is to say here are the underlying processes that people are doing and if you can sort of understand those then you can assemble a ceremony that will work for you will work for your peer group and will hold things in a good and supportive way and you know that could include someone who's a south american shaman whatever or it could include someone who's a, a you know uh, a Norwegian runic practitioner and, and a bunch of people who have basically no religion but can understand a, a, a simple symbol repertoire that's delivered well. Yeah, so you don't even have to sign up to any particular belief system. You don't have to identify as a pagan. You don't necessarily have to go and get a shaman from some faraway place. It becomes a series of behaviours of curating these spaces that we do better and better with the wide variety of substances that we've now got available. That's what I hope. I, I'm right with you on that. I think it's uh, there's a lot of utility in thinking about these practices and integrating them to our work. And uh, I think we'll, we'll wrap up our conversation soon. But uh, I believe you've written a book, Julian, that might be uh, relevant to some of this. I have, stuff. mate. I have, mate. I've written um, a book called Getting Higher, The Manual Psychedelic Ceremony, um, which is what it says on the tin. It's basically, as far as I understand it, it's, it's, it's my take on some of these techniques. And... Uh, collections of different things that people can go and try out few examples of stuff that i've done just as kind of you know um, for instances of practice but it's really designed to empower people to go and create their own um ritualized containers for the the, the, the substances that they're using so they can you know use those in a really good way i've written stuff previously which is about psych um, psychedelics and there's a lot of my stuff just online um at the blog of baphomet.com so people can go and check that out um, the, the, I've, I've read the book and it's fantastic and it's been very influential on me and uh, I've, uh, you're also running retreats now and I've attended one of your retreats the Deep Magic Retreats and I, I think there's another one coming up soon there is there's, uh, another one coming up um, towards the uh, end of uh, September and another one uh, in November so we've got details on our Facebook page um, so if you just search for uh, Deep Magic um, there you'll, you'll find it from there um, or go, like I said, to the blog address and you can find all the links and stuff from there. It's been really, really good. We've had this, as you know, this opportunity to work with a site in uh, North Cornwall, St. Lectons Glen, which is this beautiful magical space that's now got <coughs> a retreat on it. And so being able to kind of work with that landscape is a, is a, um, is, is a real honour. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful place. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, I hope to be along at another one at some point. In the oh, please do. So. Great to have you there. Uh, great. Well, thank you very much, Julian, and speak to you again soon. All right. See you later. Ciao. Bye.